Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. So about two years ago now, Lindsay and I wanted to, or we're looking into flipping a house. And we went over to the house, and Lindsay looked and said, I think the foundation's really bad. And I said, no, 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 we can do it, we can do it, we can do it. Now, mind you, in our relationship, Lindsay this year asked for a saw for Christmas, and I asked for shoes. So maybe I shouldn't share that publicly, but that's the status of our relationship. So her opinion mattered more, and then we had a friend who's a GC come over, and he looked at it, and he goes, this foundation is horrible. And Lindsay gave me a look like, do you trust me yet in these matters? And I said, well, I didn't say anything, but you know the answer. I shared this story. I was at a birthday party for um, one of the families in our church. We were at Sky Zone, and uh, we were on the balance beam, and it was a joust. And I told her if she knocked me off, she's 11, uh, of the joust on the balance beam over the foam pit, that um, you know I'd give her 10 bucks, thinking I can certainly handle this. Well, she's a gymnast. I'm not. We went out onto the balance beam. I lost my footing. Uh, this is my excuse, and um, I had a poor foundation on the balance beam, and she, this 11-year-old girl, knocked me off of the joust into the pit. Yeah, don't clap for that. <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day about uh, a business situation that I'm in, and uh, where there's a building up in, in Michigan that has to get built, and as I was talking to this individual who's kind of an expert in the area, he said, I've built buildings in uh, Wisconsin and, and Michigan and Minnesota. And let me tell you, if they don't get started right now, they're never going to get the foundation in. You're going to have to wait till April. All three of these stories have one thing in common, foundation. And where the foundation is weak or poor or non-existent, there's a fall into a foam pit or a building never gets built or a house shouldn't be flipped. This morning, we're going to talk about a foundation of our faith, a foundation that the story and the text indicates if the foundation is strong, then when the storms come, we can stay standing. So this morning, I want to talk about that foundation. We're in a series called Becoming Wise. The series isn't called Living Wise, at least not yet. We'll get to that. Because we don't want to just start with, here are some tips on how to live wise. Look at the Bible, grab out a couple of cute sayings, and change the way you live. Now, the series is called Becoming Wise because we want all of us to grow into the type of people who can walk in wisdom. So last week, we established a couple of important points, like a definition for wisdom. We said that wisdom is the humility to know, discern, and walk the best possible path. In Luke 2.52, we saw that even Jesus had to grow in wisdom. And so we acknowledge that if Jesus needed to grow in something, well, so too do we. In Ephesians 5.15 through 16, the Apostle Paul encourages the Christians at Ephesus to look carefully then how they walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We all want to walk the best possible path in life. And then we saw in Proverbs 4, 7 that we need to go get wisdom, that wisdom is not the uh, recipient to those of us who are passive. It doesn't just come. We have to go get wisdom. 
Then we saw in Proverbs 9 and 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And since the phrase, the fear of the Lord, can be a little confusing, we just made it this, in humility, submitting to God's authority. And so in humility, submitting to God's authority, in humility, submitting to God's authority is the beginning of wisdom. Two traits, then, that cannot be present in the wise person. Passivity and arrogance. Wisdom is the gift of those who actively go get it and those who are humble. And so last week, we said, if we want to be on this quest to become wise, it starts with humility. God, your plan, not my plan. Your way, not my way. Your will, not my will. Your view of the world, not my view of you. So that's where we left off last week. This week, I want to talk about the foundation we need to have for wisdom in order to walk that best possible path. But one of the other things we have to do is define or more fully understand what we mean by best path. Because it would be easy to say, well, best path, of course, means um, it's prosperous and glamorous. Best path is me getting to where I want to get in life. See, last week we had this picture. There's you and then there's future you. And there's a wisdom gap and a best possible path in between. Here's what I don't mean by best path. What the world says is the easiest, quickest, or best way to get to what you want in life. That's not the best path. See, what the best path is, we learn it best through Jesus, who was very wise when he said, your will, not mine, Father. The best path is the place in life where wherever it leads or whatever it takes or costs, we are in full submission to God's will. That's the best path. Now, in order to walk the best path, which if we want to be like Jesus, the best path didn't lead on earth to glamorous and prosperous. It led to death on a cross. The best path didn't lead for any of the disciples to prosperous and glamorous. It led to martyrdom. The best path in life is not your prosperity or the perfect life that you've envisioned. The best path is full submission to God's will. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes that leads to incredible blessings. It leads to amazing things here on earth. It certainly can, and it certainly often does. But I showed you another path, the path of the wrecking ball. And in the wrecking ball, you could be walking wisely, godly, walking well, and the wrecking ball can show up and knock you off course. Not because you did something wrong, not because you sinned, not because you were foolish, simply because sometimes pain, abandonment, sickness, loss of job, whatever happens because we live in a fallen world. The wise person, the wise person can stand at the beginning of the path wanting to get to future them. The wise person has to have a proper foundation to then begin walking the path. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the foundation that we have to have in order to walk the path 
the best path of wisdom, the path of full submission to God's will. To do that, we're going to look at this story in Matthew chapter 7. Now, this story is the conclusion, but also kind of the culmination of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has just given his most famous sermon, uh, his longest recorded uh, dialogue in the scriptures. And at the end of it, he gives this. Now, what would have been popular for, uh, for rabbis is at the very end to take everything they've done and try to tighten it up into one um, little package. And so really what this is, is taking everything he said, and he's going, now, whoo, here. And so at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells a story. He tells a story of two builders who build two houses who have two different results. Two builders, two houses, two different results. Now, the builders in the story, one is called wise and one is called foolish. They're called that because of what happens at the end, not because we see anything in either one of the builders that would make them wise or foolish other than what we see as the result. In other words, the builders looked identical in the story until the end. They both knew they needed shelter. They both pulled their permits. They both constructed a home. One just did it on the rock and the other did it on the sand. At first glance, second glance, third glance, these builders would have looked very similarly. You would not have known by looking at the builders which one was wise and which one was foolish. In the metaphor of the story, there this morning exists two types of people. And at first, second, and third glance, we will look very similarly. Two types of people who are building the house as a metaphor for faith. Two types of people who are building faith, who see a need for um, a spiritual life, who see a need for God, who, who see a need for spiritual things, and have set out to create that, or to set out to pursue it, or to seek it. Two different types of people. And at first glance and second glance and third glance, these two types of people will look very similarly. Both will be congratulated for pursuing the things of God. Both will have things said to them like, it's so nice you're involved in church. It's so good that you give a little bit of money or that you even serve or that you consistently attend. And at first, second, third, again, glance, it will be hard to distinguish, well, which one is which? Because even what they're building looks the same. And so we, here this morning, we have two types of people pursuing faith. But the scripture calls one foolish and the other wise. How do we know which one? Is which? Well, the story will tell us. These two builders, these two people pursuing faith, build two houses. They, one each builds their house. Again, the house is the spiritual life. Now, as the story tells, and you have to see uh, the, the writing of the story is that the language is identical except at one point, the result at the end. Other than that, the, the writing is identical. So even the two houses then would look 
the same. They both would have had approved permits. They both would have had nice new siding. They both would have had granite countertops. They both were beautiful homes. They look the same. And from the outside, you would look in and you'd say, wow, two nice homes. How beautiful. There's two differences in the homes. The first difference would be the speed in which the first home went up. See, the speed of the first home, uh, the builder would have walked out there and he would have seen ground, sand, and thought, okay, I can start building. And so there would be no need to dig or to rent bulldozers or to have extended conversations with the crew on how we're going to dig down and have reinforcement and lay a foundation. Let's just start building. And so you just start building and the walls begin to go up and the frame begins in place and people drive by and they go, wow, look how quickly this house is going up. Look at the bum next door. They haven't even started. Didn't they buy their land at the same time? And the first house would begin to go up and uh, it would be beautiful and people would look in and they would say, you have done a great job. You get to live in your home. Look how nice it is. Second house would have been much slower because that builder uh, would have been thinking about things that the first builder wasn't even, wasn't even on their radar. That builder was meeting with uh, foundation crews and talking about, well, how far do we have to dig and, and what type of foundation do we have to lay and uh, how much is the reinforcement and when's going to be the right weather for us to dig and to pour and what are the elements and asking questions that the first person would have never asked. And the work would have been slower. And people would have drove by and thought, look at that guy. He can't even get his house built. What a fool. Similarly, according to the parable of the sower, which is another story in Scripture, in that story there's actually four, but we'll just look at it as two again, like this story. There's a type of faith that buds quickly. There's a type of faith where people look in and go, look how quickly they've changed. They don't swear as much. They don't drink as much. They show up to church more. They're a little bit nicer to people. The other day, they were actually even nice in a restaurant. Like, man, look at the change. Great for them. And then... The second, the other builder, the other person of faith, what the scripture would call the wise one. This person asks questions that the first person never even thinks to ask. This person is letting God do work in their heart that you can't even necessarily see outside yet but they're pursuing Christ in a way that the first doesn't even get. This, the wise person, they're, they're digging things out through prayer and repentance, meditation, and pursuit of Christ. They're looking at the old and they're wondering, God, why is this still present in me? They wake up and they wonder, why do I still love the things of the world? Why do I still get more excited about the trappings of this life than I do about you, Christ? 
Why does this sin keep flaring up in my life? And they're asking questions that the the first person doesn't even know to ask because they thought the first person did that some of these superficial changes were the indication that they were right. And the first person, or the second, I'm sorry, the, the wise builder spends time in scripture and, uh, and pouring into Christ that other Christians or um, other builders, if you're following the analogy, look in and say, why are you worried about that? Why are you worried about holiness? Why are you worried that you still love these things? Why are you worried about that little sin? Why are you worried about knowing the presence of God? Why are you worried that you don't have a, a, a thirst for prayer? Why are you worried about that? But the second builder can't shake it. Thinks, if, if I've given my life to this thing, shouldn't it take time to, to go in, to, to, to dig deeper? See, this is the other thing present in the story. In Luke's account of this story, he uses this little phrase that Matthew omits. And that is when the wise builder was building his foundation, it says he dug deeply. He dug deeply. Now I ask you this morning, these two that I've been talking about, which one sounds more like you? Which one? How do we know? Well, the story teaches us, actually, how we know. Let me read it again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, do you see the parallel? Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What's Jesus teaching us? That it is the storms, not the superficial, that will reveal where our faith truly rests. That when things are pleasant and good, that when the best possible path does lead to your glamorous and prosperous life that you've always dreamed of, that doesn't reveal what the foundation of your faith is. What reveals the foundation of your faith is what happens when the storms come. Now, this story also fixes any poor theology that would say that a a Christian will not face the storms of life. And so any theology or doctrine that would teach that, ignore it, Jesus destroys that right here. Why? Because to both the wise, who represents the person who's built their life on Christ, and the foolish, the one who has not, the storm comes to both of them. Christianity, following Christ, is not a shelter 
from the storm. It's a shelter in the midst of the storm. Do you see the difference? Bad doctrine says Christianity will stop the storm from coming. Good doctrine says Christianity will remind you that Jesus is surrounding you in the middle of it. There are three types of storms the Sermon on the Mount reveals. The first are the storms of life. We're familiar with these. Sometimes the storms of life are self-inflicted. Because we acted unwisely, we face a storm. Because we sinned, we face a storm. Sometimes the storms of life, uh, we, I won't say deserve them, but there's a reason they happened. Maybe we do deserve them sometimes. Then there's other storms. Other storms we don't necessarily deserve. We didn't do anything wrong. The storm might just be you earnestly desire something. You can fill in the blank. And you've done everything right. You followed all of the Christian self-help books to get it. And you still don't have it. And that's a storm. And you feel like a failure because everyone else around you has it and you don't. That's a storm. And so the storms in life are all of the things that we might be carrying right now with us. The fear, the failure, the disappointment, the unmet expectation. That's the first storm. The second storm is a storm of doctrine. Paul addresses this one in uh, Philippians, I'm sorry, Colossians, when he says, don't listen to their empty philosophies. The storm of doctrine is whenever the world or even sometimes Christians will pop up and say, no, 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 you don't have to believe that. Oh, no, no, the scripture, it's not inerrant. The storm of doctrine is anyone who will try to take you away from Christ and Christ crucified as the only path to your salvation. The storm of doctrine is any attack on your mind that would get you to step off of the foundation of God's word and to seek for something else. Paul says, don't build yourself on that. Instead, go deeply into Christ and his truth. There's a third storm. It's the storm of eternal judgment. In fact, right before this, Jesus says one of his most famous lines. And he says, there will be many on the last day who will say, I knew you. I sang in your name. I praised in your name. And on the day of judgment, the Father will say, I never knew you. And that'll be the ultimate storm. It'll be the storm of judgment. Hey, let me give you a tip this morning. Before you arrive at the place of the third and final storm, evaluate what's happening in the first two storms. Because it might give you an indication of the outcome of the third storm. Now these storms... All three of them. There's two outcomes, the scripture says, to the storm. And look at the language. Look at the language. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And some of you, you feel like that house. 
You feel like the rain keeps pouring, the floods are coming up, you're freaking out, and one thing after another keeps beating you down. You're like scared to get out of bed because you don't know what's going to happen next. And you feel like the house. And one house falls, a great fall. The beautiful house, the beautiful house that looked exactly like the other house. The beautiful house where as much time and energy, at least on everything that you could see, was taken. The same as the other. All of a sudden, the house, gone. Obliterated. What's the metaphor? The metaphor is a great, or what perceived to be a great faith. A great person of faith. A follower of Jesus. A storm comes in and wipes them out. The disappointment endures. The unmet expectation is never met. The tragedy, whatever it might be, happens. And the person goes, I can't do this anymore, God. I'm out. Rejects, rebels, gives God the finger on the way out and just says, I'm done. I'm done. That's one result. Here's the other result. And the rain fell, and the floods came. Actually, let's put it into modern language. And the tragedy struck, and the trials mounted up. And the discontent was present. And it fell on the person over and over. But their faith did not fall. Which one do you want to be? I'm reminded of the disciples. There was a moment when a good number of the disciples abandoned Jesus. And they looked and they said, are you going to run away? And Jesus looked and said, are you going to go away too? And you know what they said? Where else would I go? What does the wise person say in the midst of the storm? What does the wise person say when life and all of the worst things it can throw fall on the wise person? What does the wise person say in response? But where else could I go? In other words, Jesus, I have nothing sure but you. Friends, there is a faith in Christ that no matter what life throws, stands the test. You say, well, how? How do I get that faith? Well, the text only gives us two indicators. 
The first one is this. Those who hear the words of Jesus and do them. Let me sum that up real quickly. Those who hear the gospel, the message of Christ, and embrace it and let it reorganize and rework and redeem all of you. How do I do that? Luke tells us, you dig deeply into Christ. And day after day, and week after week, and month after month, and year after year, you dig deeper and deeper into Christ. You pray, and you meditate on Scripture, and you long for his presence, and you seek after him. You desire him above all else. You do, as Paul says, you crucify sin and and the flesh, and you seek Christ. And inevitably, the storms will come. But when they do, is you are standing on Christ. Jesus says, you will not fall. Now, here's what this is not. This is not a message for you to just try harder in your faith. Both builders built the same house. This is a message to make sure that you're building your faith on the right thing. Christ. Christ. This is a message where we get to stop for a minute and evaluate, is my faith built on Jesus, the rock, and him alone? Now, again, you may ask, but how do I know? How do I know? Have you faced a storm lately? When it came, what was your first instinct? Run to Christ or run away? After the first instinct, where did you see your heart begin to go? Fix it on your own or go deeper into Christ? Friend, use every storm, every disappointment, every unmet expectation as an opportunity to see where your foundation truly is, or what your foundation truly is. You say, well, what if I've noticed that my foundation might not be what it needs to be? Well, then start digging deep. Start digging deep into Christ. Maybe you've been trying to build this faith too quickly. Throw on some paint. Call it a day. Now, you might need to go back to settle your heart back at the gospel. 
You were dead in sin. Christ made you alive. You couldn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. You might just need to go recenter your heart back on Christ and then let him build you from there. And when the foundation is right, then, the scripture says, then can we walk the best possible path, submitting to God's will wherever it leads or whatever it takes. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.